So welcome to the AIH podcast. And today I received two guests. We have Benjamin and London. Welcome, guys. Hey, Damien. Hello, Damien. Thank you for having us. Yeah, with pleasure. Well, can you tell me more about you guys? I can start. Sure. So uh, I'm Benjamin. Uh, I'm a neuroscientist by training. Uh, I used to look at how odors are encoded in the brain of mice and uh, using uh, functional in vivo imaging. And this work uh, involved a lot of uh, uh, statistical analysis and uh, I really liked it. So then I transitioned to the industry and I've been uh, a data scientist in, uh, in civil engineering, then in uh, electronic noise, electronic olfaction. And uh, last experience was in, uh, in PropTech. And now I've started my own uh, consulting business, right. trying uh, nice projects. Uh, I'm a product guy. I think this comes from my research background. And I'm frustrated when I need to focus on one little brick. I like to have the end-to-end -end project from framing to delivery. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm pushing right now. That's great. What about you, Landon? Awesome. Hello, everyone. My name is Landon, and I am a software engineer. I've been in IT for about 20 plus years. Uh, I sort of started off doing web development, moved into mobile. And for the past 15 years or so, I've been doing full stack mobile development, primarily Android and iOS, Flutter, you name it. And I am very interested in moving into more of the machine learning aspect of software engineering, even though Machine learning has been around for a decade or so. It seemed to be uh, getting a lot more traction with some of the new tech that we've seen in the last year and a half. So it's, to me, it's a very exciting time to, to learn as much as I can about it. Oh, that's great. So what's your strategy to get into the field? What, ha what have you been doing so far to get into it? So I've been taking a lot of Coursera courses. I'm just reading, following a lot of notables in the industry like yourself, Damon, mm -hmm. um, some other people just trying to soak up as much knowledge as I, as I can. And then also at the same time, I have side projects that I try to get practical experience and, and sort of learn by trial and error. So it's, it's difficult because the tech is evolving so quickly. I learned one thing, you know, two months ago and I read another research paper and there's new things that, that need to be done. So it's like a constant learning, which I love. Well, it's, it's true only if you focus on the latest stuff. If you focus on LLMs, generative AI, it's true. If you, if you, if you focus on what 95% of machine learning engineers and data scientists are working on in the industry, it's not moving that fast. So it's good. It's oh, good, good to, to hear. Yes, that's good to hear. <laughs> so, what's um, when did you start uh, working on improving yourself for machine learning? I would probably say the journey has started about six months ago, uh, mm -hmm. maybe nine months ago, and I, if not not necessarily inclined, I mean, in line with with ChatGPT came out. You know, I, I was very interested in it before the rage but I didn't really have the, the time to sort of get into it. But once the rage happened, and it was something very similar to how it happened when I transitioned from web like application to mobile, is that you have to just get enough information and enough hands-on experience to, to be confident enough that you can you know sort of do these tasks. Uh, it's a little bit different from mobile machine learning because it's so 
so many theoretical concepts you need to understand, so much math around it, so much just algorithms, period. Um, yeah, yes. anybody can stand up a model, right? But can you evaluate the model? Can you understand why it's not behaving the right way? So I want I want to get to that level of, of confidence. So so what you want to become is a machine learning engineer. Yes, exactly. It's a it's a, it can it can be difficult. Like, what's your before? Wait, six Damien, Damien, Damien. Yeah. What is a machine learning engineer? Well, somebody that trains <laughs> models, somebody that uh, deploys those. I think it's a good definition of it. Yeah, yeah. To me, like, the machine learning engineer was more the guy who actually deploy and evaluate the models uh, more so than uh, train them, uh, you know, like more so than train them um, uh, to start with, you know, like uh, uh, to me, like this, this was more like the, the, the whole data science uh, work, which in fact has been a bit uh, uh, falling down lately. Now, now it's the, the main thing is to take a model that works, fine tune it, Put it in production, so there's. It looks like there is less and less that real data science uh, effort uh, in uh, in the industry. At least public. At, at least if you judge about the famous LinkedIn posts. I think the difference in definitions that we have come from uh, where we live. So you are in France. Okay. I am in the US. Yes. And let's say ten five years ago, maximum five years ago. A data scientist used to be somebody that trained model in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Now, a data scientist in the U.S. can be very, very different things. It can be mm -hmm. somebody that trained a model. Very often, you will see data scientists uh, training models in some notebooks, some Jupyter notebooks. Mm -hmm. But uh, they, they rarely have the software engineer, you know, they rarely use uh, software engineering best practices. Yes. that are expected to to exist now when it comes to training models. And very often, people that are actually training models are called now machine learning engineer. And one reason is that uh, a bit more than five years ago, when data science was very hot, every data analyst started to change their job title to data scientists. And there was a time where, you know, you could call yourself a data scientist and only be doing machine learning training. But now data scientists can be, you know, you do some SQL, you do some data visualization, you do some, sometimes some machine learning, you do some data analysis. But more and more, it's becoming somebody that is not doing machine learning. And the people that wanted to showcase their skills, their expertise, they did it in their title by changing the titles to data scientists to machine learning engineers. So in the US, yes. if uh, you want to be the ones, if you want to be the one training models, you better have a title that uh, has machine mm -hmm. learning in the title. I see. I see. That's interesting. It's uh, a, it's a, it became more, more true and more true. You know, if you look uh, in companies like Google, Amazon, maybe not Amazon. But in a data scientist is somebody that does not touch machine learning. What, what, what does he do? Data analysis, uh, extracting uh, insights from the data, potentially to help people that are training models, but they are not training models themselves. So there's a 
maybe in uh, difference in definition. I, I met recently people working on machine learning in France recently. They, are, they call themselves data scientists. So it, it, yeah. de it depends where you live, I think, or, and, yeah, well, and, or, when you, uh, and when you live. Yes, well, definitely. I, I see myself as a data scientist, uh, like training models, and of course, like trying to put them in production, or at least like uh, rate working in a in a, in a framing in a frame, in a that that allows me to do it. Uh, and, but I really see myself as a data scientist more more than an engineer, just because you know software engineering comes on top of it. Uh, like it's it's to me, it's to package things. It's not so. I guess it's just a problem of wording. So, but I guess I, 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 I'm, I, I'm totally aligned with uh, with what you said. So there was a few years ago. I tried to, you know, uh, uh, on my resume you would find a lot of job titles that are data scientist, data scientist, data mm -hmm. scientist. And at some point in my career, I was trying to find jobs where I would do machine learning. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in a being a director of machine learning and data science in a, in a startup. And I was trying to find another job and applying to jobs that had in their job description machine learning. They were titled machine learning engineers now. And I could not convince people that I was actually a machine learning expert. I mean, I would have difficulties to convince recruiters that somebody that is a data, used to be a data scientist is actually somebody that can be an expert in machine learning. It's something that was not clear to the recruiters. Okay, okay so you talk to hiring managers, it's a bit more clear, but if you talk to recruiters, it's something that uh, where the connection is not clear for them. So it's, uh, where, it's when I realized that it's a dangerous thing in the US to keep having a title that is data scientist if you want to do machine learning. I see. Yeah, well, it's just uh, the recruiters are always getting in the way. So they need <laughs> to find strategies. Well, they are getting in the way, time. but uh, they are part of the game, so we need to yes. we need to adapt, right? Of course. Yeah, I sort of always looked at the data scientist as the the person that would look at the data to see if you could actually do anything with the data. Um, I used to work for this startup, and you know, the CEO always wanted to hire you know, data scientists, because we didn't know if we could do any machine learning, right? So the data scientist would come in, evaluate the data and, and make sure it, it's, so like the data, the data scientist piece to me is more like theoretical, how you structure the data, yes. you know, what, what else do you do with it? Also like, like, uh, is there some signal in my data? I mean, right. the, the, all comes from like, if there is no signal in your data, to answer the actual business problem you're trying to mm -hmm. to uh, uh, to solve, it's useless to do uh, to hire a very uh, skilled machine learning engineer, and so that's why I, I see myself primarily as a data scientist because I'm I really like to see if there is some signal in some data that a stakeholder wants to wants me to use to solve his problem. Yeah, yeah, because without data scientists, like there would be no ML engineer because machine learning, deep learning, it to me, all, yes. all revolves around the data. <laughs> but then it comes back to what I was saying. I think that now there is less and less real data science in the industry. And it's more now like applying, you know, uh, uh, applying to, I think the use cases are becoming more and more mature so that now basically uh, uh, people don't invest 
much money into like innovative, uh, like trying to find new ways of leveraging data. It's more like uh, uh, applying what is uh, what what is uh, what has uh, been proven to be effective, uh, and so like spend little time in on the research and more on the actual operation of uh, on models and hence the, the the rise of the machine learning engineer uh, person you know as uh, as the god of this engineering of the whole engineering stack i think so i mean that's that's how i uh, that's how i, uh, I uh, perceive it now but despite the the negative angle you give to this i actually think it's good of course i, I agree it's because no that I, I i don't want to be negative sorry <laughs> I didn't want to be negative. Uh, it's just uh, uh, no. It's, it's something I, I see. And it's, in fact, it's, it's nice because it means that uh, that the use cases are actually getting mature, so that uh, business uh, business actually uh, gets some values from the data. So uh, I used to when I was transitioning, we had like you know like everybody every big corporation has these data labs where like you would do like things like whole day on notebooks, like trying to explore things that were like uh, not even grounded in real business challenge or real business problems. And that actually could never, even if, if there was something to be, uh, to be extracted from some data, uh, there was no, uh, there was absolutely no uh, operational uh, pipeline then to uh, really leverage it uh, in production. So uh, I agree with you. I think it's, it's positive. Uh, uh, for the for the for the field, yeah, I remember there was a time where where you you would hire a data scientist and you would ask them to do research, and what we could research at the time was to rediscover the wheel over and over, because it's something a lot of the data science use case or a lot a lot of the machine learning use cases are the same, and you don't need to rediscover them, and it's almost insulting to research to cause that research you know you just oh, get course, some data and you just find some input variables and some output variables to predict on, to try to predict and uh, i guess this also it depends on your experience on your work experience I, I guess i guess i guess but it's not research it's it's very much applying the same techniques over and over figure out figuring out mm. how to frame a business problem into a machine learning solution is a skill, does that require uh, thinking through the logic a bit? Do you need to call that research? Maybe. No, I, I agree. I agree. I agree with you. It's not research. It's like more like uh, investigation or like, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I agree. It's not research. I should not have called this research. Also, I know what research is. And as soon as you reframe the problem into a machine learning solution, there's no need to do research. You can apply a very simple template to the problem. If you have a supervised learning problem to solve, you apply the same template. It should not be something that is related to research. It should not be something that is related to research. It should be something that is related to uh, engineering pipelines. You basically apply the same engineering pipelines over and over. So that's why I think you need more of an engineer than a scientist when it comes to applying machine learning techniques now. And I believe in the US, the namings of the different jobs is better than it used to because uh, a machine learning engineer is what we need now to get machine learning going. 
We don't need a scientist that does research. We need to figure out uh, how to apply solutions that we are we already know work and to the current problem we have in the current company, you know. Yes, I agree. If you are in businesses which who actually like uh, focus on the mature use cases. I've been working, you know, in, in small businesses where like we do things that uh, are not really mature. And so there is a lot of not research, but like experimentation. Well, yeah, the, the good word is experimentation. In my opinion, if you're in a company where the prime driver of the revenue is not machine learning and you start to apply machine learning techniques for fruits that are no, that are not low hanging fruits, you're making a mistake. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Only the big companies, the big tech companies are able to actually do research to really push the boundaries of what we can actually do with machine learning for business application. If you're, if you're a startup that wants to build a whole business model around machine learning, you may want to, you may want to reinvent, I mean, to, you may want to invent something new. You may want to try to find a new way to utilize machine learning. But if your prime driver as a revenue is not machine learning and you start to want to apply machine learning in your business, you should not start by something that is not a clear cut application of machine learning. I agree. I agree with you. Uh, this is what I've been advocating uh, for in a lot of my uh, previous experience. That's great. That's great to know. So, Landon, uh, tell me again, we, we started with you on where you are going to, to be, when it, where you want to be when it comes to your career. You be, how long have you been working in the industry right now? So I've been in the industry about 23 plus years. Um, so it, it's been a while. I've, I've seen technology from decade to decade. And I, I just think it's, it's all about getting that practical experience because there's only so much, well, at least for me, that I can learn from a book or a tutorial or a blog post without me getting my hands dirty because I'm going to experience certain problems that I have to figure out how to solve. Uh, it's just a particular, you know, the, the, the progress to get to the point where you've seen a lot of these problems before, like, like since I've been doing mobile for 15 years, like I can identify problems before they happen because I've seen them happen so many often times. Right. But, you know, I have to get that much experience or practical experience under my belt before I can start understanding why this model isn't learning correctly. Like what are the tools of the, of the trade that I can try to make it learn better? So I have a question for you because do you see yourself starting from the ground up? I mean, from the ground, from zero, when you start to your career? Because if you want to become a machine learning engineer, you will need to call yourself again a junior engineer after 23 years of experience. How do you feel about that? Right. And that's one of the things I do sort of struggle, go back and forth with. But I think that it's as inevitable for you to start off at the ground level, like a junior ML engineer and move up. Like I'm completely okay with that. 
you know, ideally, you know, I'm with a company that wants to invest in my career, um, that allows me to learn and sort of move up the ranks as quickly as possible. It is, I'll say, honestly, it is a hard pill to swallow when you really think about it, because if I go apply for ML engineers, it will be probably a junior role. Yeah. And you will be managed by people with much less experience than you do, than you have. Mm -hmm. It's, it can be, it can be tough on the ego, you know, I wonder if it's uh, the best strategy. You know, like uh, somebody that has 23 years of experience, would I advise personally that person to start from zero and to start again the career? I'm not sure I would advise this. So if you're interested to hear my advice, you know, what I would say is that instead of starting from zero, I would try to build on the experience that you actually have right now. When it comes to an engineer, you're a star engineer, right? You're somebody with so much experience. We want to utilize that experience. How could you utilize that experience uh, if you wanted to work in ML? Well, you don't need to have the skills to actually work in ML. You can be working from different angles in ML. For example, you could be a manager that manage a team of people that work in ML. Some of of the people may work in ML, some of the other people may not work in ML. But the engineering experience you have will be very valuable for you to guide them into building the right things. Now, they would provide the expertise, you know, on some of the details, and you would provide the grand vision, meaning that you know how things get, you know, uh, connect to each other. to to build things at scale. So now if this is potentially the path you take, you would actually utilize your your experience. You will need to fill some gaps in your understanding of ML because you would still need to understand how the engineering of ML works at a high level for you to be able to have some understanding of what your team is doing. Right. One one strategy that I would take if I were you would be to try to, in my current company, to try to get closer to projects that relate to ML and try to see how, as an engineer, you could try to participate to it. So, sorry, are you an engineer right now or are you a manager? Engineer, a staff engineer. Yeah. So um, I, 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 I definitely thought about that, but I also want to ask you a question around like uh, ML ops, you know, DevOps is sort of this thing that kind of emerged over the last decade and a half or so. And while ML ops is very similar, it's more of the infra around yeah. serving models, training models, but you still have to know some bit of it. So also, what, what do you think about that as, as a, 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 you know, path B to getting into it? I think it's a much easier path to take for somebody like you. It's a path that you can more easily uh, bridge a gap in terms of the knowledge. And it's a, it's a path where you, you will be able to utilize your, your past experience because you're an engineer and MLOps engineers are software engineers. And they are just applying that knowledge, that skill to uh, maintaining machine learning models or building some machine learning pipelines. So, uh, 
So I think it's a, it's a much easier route to take for an engineer. I, I actually would not advise somebody to become a, a machine learning engineer after so much experience. I, only if really you have the passion. But uh, at first, what I would advise would be to try to get closer to a machine learning project from you know where you where you work, and try to see how you feel about it, and try to participate to to see uh, how you how your skills can really apply. And you know, like if at some point you want to become more of a machine learning engineer, you you can. But uh, I would uh, advise to start participating to projects. As a very least, you know, the next time you apply to, let's say, a machine learning engineer role, you can always say that you have that experience of working on machine learning projects by having participated to machine learning projects where, where, where you work. But uh, yeah, it's, um, to me, it's tricky, this, this idea to start again your career from zero. I, I think I think it's a big pity. Go, go ahead. Uh, why do you? Why are you so interested in a, in a, a transition? I mean, getting more focused on machine learning uh, because you you I mean you already have a software engineering uh, job. So you do you like what you do uh, or like because it it looks to me. Uh, what what are you going to? What 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 are you expecting to find? as an additional experience to what your job is, because I'm, it looks to me that you are like very seasoned engineer. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't, in fact, I don't think you, I would question how much you would gain for, from transitioning like that well, uh, step, I mean. Yeah, I think, I think for me, and I've asked I, my question, I asked myself this question, you know, a couple of a few times, but I think it's, I'm, I'm really infatuated, intrigued with the technology only because I think it's one of those pivotal points. I hate to say humankind, but like in, in mm -hmm. technology that we probably arguably may not see again. Like I probably thought about this for mobile, but to me, mobile has seen kind of reached its plateau. It's only so much innovation you can keep doing on these handsets. But I think when you start looking at machine learning, like there is no limit to what, this technology can bring. Like some people are afraid of it. Some people understand it as a force multiplier. Some people understand it as, oh, it's going to replace my job. You know, I look at it as something that's remarkable that we can teach these machines to do. You can make, you know, tasks even more efficient. So honestly, when I, when, when I think about what I do now, I love what I do, but it's, yeah. I don't know who sees it, but it's just so easy. Like it's no challenge. It's, I can do it in my sleep. And I think, Getting into machine learning, I, I want more of a challenge. I, I want more, um, I want to scratch that itch of that moment where I'm like, oh, wow, that was tough, but I figured it out. And, and this is why, you know, so it's kind of that for me, sort of why I want to move into it. But, yeah, but you know, to Damon's point, I need to try it to see, I, maybe I yeah. won't like it. <laughs> you, 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 have a, you have a very romantic view of the field, you know, like uh, yes. the romantic view of the field uh, by somebody that does not know what the field is. And so you may be disappointed. So instead, uh, you know, before you make the jump of scratching your, your career, 
by going for a new career after 23 years, I would go step by step. And I would start by doing what you actually can do right now, which is MLOps, which is potentially being involved with more data engineering that relates to how you pipe data to machine learning models. I would try to be involved with something that you can almost do right now without having to go through all the different algorithms. I can tell you that the, all the theoretical aspect of machine learning is actually very far from what is machine learning in the industry. So the more you dig into your textbooks, the further away you go from being a machine learning engineer, in my opinion. So the more uh, straightforward path for you to get to that uh, to that to that goal would actually be to start to work on projects that relate to machine learning. Maybe not as a machine learning engineer, maybe not as an MLOps engineer, but as somebody that can maybe provide some expertise that you have right now. And if you're lacking some of the expertise that is needed to really contribute to those projects, well, you bridge a gap little by little and you gain that experience little by little. Makes sense, totally. That would be my advice. Now, if you're extremely passionate about machine learning, if you know that's the only thing you want to do in your life, yeah, go for it. But I, I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing somebody that I've heard of, you know, ChatGPT recently and is find it very shiny and want to run after it. But to me, it's a bit of a mirage. So be careful about that. I've seen many people having the same excitement about it just before running after this mirage, you know, try to see if there's really water there. I agree with Damien. I could add something. I think you have like, so there are, there are two reasons uh, for you to want this transition. I, I heard two reasons. The first one was, oh, this is a transformati transformative uh, technology. Uh, it's amazing. I would relative, I mean, I would be very, I would be much more uh, cautious uh, I don't think it's so revolutionary, but that, that's that's philosophical. And the second one uh, is uh, I want to learn more. I want I want to learn new things, and this is this is great. Uh, I think in fact that's the main reason uh, I uh, I changed uh, of uh, of, uh, of sector and uh, and uh, the fact that you always have to learn new things. I think you should never stop. So that's in fact that's a good reason. So I think you have like one bad reason, one good reason. And I don't know, you can, uh, how, depends how much you weigh, you weigh each one of those. I would, right. I would weigh the second one, like the learning, learning is, uh, well, learning is very exciting. And learning is fun. If you go to, into machine learning, you're going to be satisfied in that regard. Yes. So what, what about you, Benjamin? Uh, how did you transition from being a neuroscientist to becoming a data scientist? Yeah, uh, it was a bit of a chance or lack of preparation, I would say. Uh -huh. Well, basically, uh, I think I ended up doing a PhD also by a lack of preparation. I was uh, like most people. good at school. Yeah, I was, uh, I was enjoying my, uh, my studies. I was, uh, so I studied genetics and then uh, I did an internship in the US on uh, the memory of fly, uh, which 
brought me to neuroscience. When I was back to Fr in France, I, I did not really know what to do with my life. So I applied for a PhD fellowship and then I was into the PhD and, uh, and it was a fantastic adventure. Uh, very tough, but, uh, and, uh, but, but I had no uh, intention to pursue in the academia. And so after I took uh, one year off uh, traveling around the world, I came back. Uh, I had like no, no plan. And uh, I just took a job that uh, uh, I could, I mean, that for which I got offers, which was data scientist. And I was started in civil engineering. So it, here it was like a lot of exploration. We were like trying to use data from the tunnel boring machines to, uh, to try to uh, optimize operations and, uh, and uh, prevent breakdowns and things like that. So this was totally new to me. And this was like completely far from what, uh, from what I had done before. And this I really liked, in fact, uh, you know, like trying to, like discovering a new, what I like with data science, like really data science is, uh, uh, you discover, you know, all the business context of, uh, the company you're working with. And I think it's, it's, uh, and you have a genuine uh, look, you know, like you're, you're, you're right, you, you know, nothing and you need to talk to the engineer to understand what the problem is. And I think this serves my mind, my uh, scientific mindset, uh, but this is far from ML engineering. In fact, so I've, what I've been trying yeah. to do, you know, it's like trying to reconcile this with actual, like leveling, leveling up my uh, software engineering skills, yeah. uh, which is always, of course, like work in progress. So, uh, that's what I'm been pursuing and I'm trying to continue to pursue. And uh, it's not so easy, in fact, uh, to uh, reconcile the mindset of like uh, investigation with delivery in the industry. You need to deliver, you need to apply best practice. Uh, you need to work on things that people understand, you know, like uh, they want to know what you're working on. Uh, they want to be sure that you're actually using your time, uh, you know, like to bring revenues. So, and this is a, a very tough balance uh, yeah. when you come from the academia, I think. It's funny because I have almost the same exact story about myself. I guess 50%, maybe a bit more, people, 50% of the people that are going to do a PhD, they are going to do a PhD because they want to delay the question of what I'm going to do when I'm going to be big, right? Yes. Uh, you don't want to think about what is the actual job you're going to have to choose. So you're going to continue to do fun things, to study. You're getting paid for it. It's a small amount, but uh, it feels like you're doing something yes. meaningful. So you, it's fun, right? You spend many years uh, yes. doing fun things. And at some point, there's a question which is like, okay, so what is it you want to do to make money? Yes. And uh, you need to make a choice. You need to see what people are going to, are ready to hire you for. So similar than you, people were ready to hire me to be a data scientist. And uh, that's why I became a data scientist because that's the only thing that people would be ready to hire me for. for. Yes. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoy this. Uh, this uh, so coming out of a physics PhD, I felt I knew nothing about the world apart from physics. So I could not have a conversation about politics. I could not have a conversation about business, economics, I knew nothing about that. It was very uh, refreshing to be able to be in a place 
where they were motivated by different things that I was and to be able to learn about how people make money, how a business makes money and being able to question people on what is it you need to optimize, what is it you need to solve in terms of problems and understanding those problems was a great learning experience. So I, I love that as somebody that knew nothing. And uh, I spent uh, a lot of years trying to feel, I mean, thinking that a data scientist, his job is first to become an expert on the problem he's trying to solve. And I think like you, one of my main, my main, um, uh, the thing that I really wanted to spend uh, improving for me was not my math, was not my problem-solving abilities. It was really ma making sure that I was becoming a, a better engineer. And I spent most of my career focusing on becoming a better engineer. That's why, you know, like I have a, a lot of, there's a lot of appeal for me when it comes, the, the idea that ML engineer is an engineer, that, this has a lot of appeal because I spent a lot of time thinking about how to make sure that what I was building was better engineered. And, uh, and I was very, I, I really disliked the, the way data scientists, many data scientists were approaching problems in a very messy manner, in a very, mm -hmm. people say scientific manner, but it's not true. I mean, a scientist can be very organized, but uh, in a very, uh, irreproducible manner, you know. And if you include engineering into your pipelines, into your processes as a data scientist, you you have some something that is a bit better when it comes to reproducibility, to actually something that looks like more what science needs to be, something that is well understood at each of the different aspects. So it's a it's something that um, so I think we are we have this uh, connection when it comes to how we got into data science and what yes, we but I have not worked uh, I have not worked uh, software engineering part as uh, as uh, as good as you and as uh, as uh, uh, yeah and it's it's in fact it's it's very it's very important uh, and and I think also there is the, the second thing. I, I, sorry, I cut you, but I finished that because otherwise I'm going to forget. Uh, it's the problem of specialization. I have the impression that uh, we have uh, gone from a, an era where data science was like very investigation, as I said uh, earlier, uh, to now you really need to be specialized in a set of techniques uh, because uh, there is no time to mess around anymore. And, uh, and uh, in fact, some uh, like computer vision or like NLP has become really, really, really uh, specialized, and uh, and uh, and you cannot claim to be efficient uh, applying these techniques if you don't have uh, um, significant experience with it, which is a bit uh, difficult for people like me, for example, who really likes to like learn new things and not really uh, uh, work. Uh, I mean. Uh, like that gets bored very get bored very easily yeah uh, get bored getting bored very easily so uh, uh, sorry I cut you uh, uh, no but uh, I I don't know if you agree with this but I I, I don't know because uh, 
The assumption is that because you use plug and play techniques that you already figured out, the assumption mm -hmm. is because you do that, you're not learning, you're not trying to solve problems anymore. Something as simple as training a model that there's no way for you to learn new things and for you to solve problems. When even if you have a pipeline where everything is automated, you can take a small piece of that pipeline, you can look at it and you can try to replace it by something new. It's, mm -hmm. I know that it's something, for example, that I was doing at Meta. Uh, we had a very automated pipeline. Everything was uh, uh, as automated as it can be. You know, you just train a model by clicking a button. But still, we could take a small piece of that pipeline, look at it, and think, okay, how can we improve that? How can we apply the latest uh, technologies, the latest uh, algorithms, the latest research that uh, exists on that uh, small subject and how can we make it a bit better. So it's not because they, you don't need anymore to code things over and over that you cannot think about one aspect of your pipeline and you, that you cannot try to improve it by using something that is uh, new. And I, you know, we've been doing, we, mm. we were doing research there not not uh, to the level of academic research, but apply research in how to apply techniques that were six months old uh, mm -hmm. to our pipeline to really improve the, the process. Yes. And uh, it is true that in that specific context, it was hard for me to, to be the kind of person that figure out how to solve a problem at a high level, meaning that you have a business problem and you're trying to reframe it into a machine learning solution. It was hard for me to be that person because in a big company like Meta, this kind of things is already figured out, especially, yeah. especially where I was working. I was working in the oldest team of machine learning, which was like the uh, ads ranking. So it's where, it's where machine learning is useful. It's where machine learning is making money. Everything was very, uh, very well-oiled machine. There were some other aspects, some other teams in Meta where they were trying to, to really discover how to use machine learning to build new products, but I was not involved with that. And uh, working in that specific team, it was very difficult for me to apply that, you know, to, to connect to the business where you have something that you want to solve or you want to generate new revenue how do you make it happen with machine learning? Uh, but uh, uh, it's it's something that you can still be doing if things are automated. So it's not because you have an automated pipeline where you click a button and you have a trained model. It's not because you have this kind of automated pipeline that you cannot still think about, uh, you cannot think about how to take a potential product or potential way your product is exposed to the users and think about how machine learning could play a role in that. And yes. uh, once, you once you figure out that, why do you need to do things manually? Why won't you use something that is already, you know, automated for you? No, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, I was not, I wasn't 
particularly uh, speaking of automation, it was more like, uh, it looks to me that the field specialized a lot. So like, uh, if, uh, for example, now, I think like uh, if you're a computer vision scientist, I mean, if you're not a computer, if you're, if you're not specialized in computer vision, there's no way you're going to uh, land a job at a company which uses computer, which applies computer vision to solve a business problem, which I think could have been the case before. Maybe not computer vision because computer vision, in fact, is quite old as a, as a field. But NLP, for example, I, I, like I did NLP. I remember I did NLP. I, you know, I did f f bags of words. Uh, and then like embeddings, I remember like, like, uh, I remember it, uh, it was like, it was, it was very fancy at the time. And it was, and now I would, uh, like, uh, if you have, uh, if you have not, uh, keep up with the pace of innovation, you're like completely, uh, uh you're like completely, uh, out of the game easily. That's what I'm saying about, um, you know, it's just like the learning, the learning new thing or like, like the ability to come with just your brain and your creativity and like. Uh, uh, do nice things as a bit it's a bit of thing of a, of a past you know yeah there is no war effect anymore that's what I'm thinking well you know in the 90s people were all programmers mm -hmm. or maybe, maybe maybe even earlier everybody was just a programmer and at some point people became back-end engineer at some point people became mobile engineer at some point people people became front-end engineer etc right things specialized and I don't think it's for the worst, right? It's just you specialize in, in the thing that talked to you the most. Mm -hmm. And in machine learning, if machine learning is participating to the economy uh, to a high level, why wouldn't it be the same? I think we're going to see, to see the same also with data engineering. You're going to have people that are, doing that are going to do data engineering specialized for machine learning application. And I think it's going to be truer and truer that people are going to specialize. It's been a while that computer scientists, sorry, uh, computer vision uh, specialists actually specialized. Uh, yeah, yeah, like right. Diverged, diverged away from the common machine learning engineer or the yes, common yes. data scientist. And the that reason was a is, bad example. No, but it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a good example. It's been a while because uh, it's been since 2013-14 that we figured out techniques that could really be very efficient to uh, to build uh, computer vision applications with, with machine learning. So there are now a lot of products and there's a, uh, many markets around, uh, there's a large market around computer vision in, in machine learning or machine learning in computer vision. So it's normal that uh, you need people that are specialized in that field. When it comes to machine learning in general, there's no clear market where machine learning has needed some specialization. Now with ChatGPT that became, uh, that, that showcased how natural language processing can revolutionize uh, the economy, we're going to see a specialization in natural language, uh, natural language processing. And people will need to be specialized in how to uh, train LLMs, fine-tune LLMs, deploy LLMs, and maintain LLMs mm -hmm. in productions. 
and it's uh, it's it's uh, the new specialization that we're going to see. But uh, I don't see that as a as a problem. I think it's uh, it's uh, it captures the expansion of the field. It it showcases that the field is is becoming more mature and and more useful. So yeah. So quick question, uh, Benjamin. Yeah. When you mentioned that you want to sort of you know transition out of academia, do you still want to do research, or? You just want to do like research with like companies, or you don't want to do research with academia. There a difference? Oh wait. Uh, uh, well, in France, when you have left research, there's no way you're going to go back in it. That's for sure. Uh, and in fact, not only in France. I think it's. Uh, I know very few examples of people who actually like uh, put their academic career in parentheses, like did something else, and then came back. Uh, you, p some people manage to have like both an uh, academic career and a private career, but it's usually when you left the academia, you you left it for good. So wait, so wait. I, I, let's make let's make sure we are clear about the term because there's a lot of confusions about what research means. Uh, you you describe research as being academic research, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. And uh, and there's a lot of people that. Uh, think that uh, being a data scientist is actually being is doing research. It's not. It's very different thing. So, I okay, just want no, to, no. I just want to to make sure we are clear about the terms. And you can still do research, but it's not academic in some private entities, in some private companies. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, um, uh, in fact, uh, what I'm what I've been exploring uh, lately is uh, like trying to come back to neuroscience uh, uh, with my uh, uh, software engineering knowledge and uh, you know, like my more like business problem or like product first uh, uh, mindset um, uh, but clearly uh, the academia is is uh, is from the past and it's good memories but uh, it's from the past i don't know if i uh, london if if you were talking about academia or like research in the private sector now i was curious kind of you know is that a potential path for you to move into because i think if you go research at a company like Damien was saying, like the advancements of computer vision over the years, like some company had to pour all, all this money and time into R&D to figure out, oh, we can do this a whole lot better. And you're still sort of exercising that engineering muscle as you do the research, just trying to improve it. So I, see. That, I see. Yeah. Yeah, well, clearly for to me, it would be something which is neuroscience related, but uh, I'm working on it. How long have you been out of academia? Uh, five years. That's a long time. Yeah, that's a long time. But and you haven't been working on neuroscience since then. No, that's in fact that's that's the problem because uh, but because then you you live uh, uh, you you lose you lose connection with the subject, and also like uh, uh, in the academia and in like fundamental research, um, uh, things are much more let's say like. Uh, it's much more difficult to stay at on the edge, basically, if you're out of the field, uh, because everything is experimental. Everything is like work in progress. So when you come, when you try to come back, you're like you're a junior scientist uh, again because you are you have lost track of the of the field, uh, even if you read papers. Uh, so yeah, that's that's uh, uh, that's a real um, yeah that's uh, that's difficult. But um, well, is it something you're considering or? or? Is there another path for you that you're currently uh, taking? Well, clearly, uh, 
I have uh, lately I have applied to uh, jobs in uh, in uh, in like neuroscience startups, mm-hmm. um, but uh, my uh, my uh, in fact my distance from the field and my uh, so the fact that I've done that I've not, not been uh, working uh, in neuroscience for years has been uh, has been a problem uh, for me to actually in fact to like grasps the like grasp some of the problematics and in fact uh, uh, to succeed uh, in uh, in job interviews so um, because I'm not really a neuroscientist anymore but uh, uh, I'm I'm not on, I'm not not I'm not really a seasoned software engineer so like you know like what what in in a neuroscience startup what kind of job can I do like uh, if I if I'm like a senior scientist uh, yeah but I'm a senior scientist uh, was was five years uh, of delay to uh, catch up uh, with the literature, with the, you know, so that's, that's that's the problem. I I don't know if I completely agree. I mean, logically speaking, what you're saying is makes sense. You mm-hmm. you're out of the field. You've been out of the field for five years. You you don't know what's been going on uh, for the past five years. So you you would have difficulty to apply to a position where you need to be up to date on what's yeah. happening in neuroscience and you being but you talked about uh, working in a startup i think uh, if you were to for example co-found it co-found it co-found 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 a, a co-found. startup that relates to neuroscience and how machine learning could apply to the field i think you would be a, a extremely good candidate on paper to be able to do so you may not be yes. able to do it on your own, uh, but you would be uh, something. You would be somebody that would be useful, that would be very an important piece uh, of the puzzle when it comes to the way investors would look at you, or even customers. Yeah, yeah of course. And it would be it would be true for you. Don't need to co-found a, com- a company to be in this situation. You could actually, uh, if you were to to see a position that would be, I don't know, like, uh, let's say CTO or, or data, head of data science or machine learning in a company where they specialize in uh, building machine learning products related to neuroscience, you would be, I think, a very good candidate for that. Yeah, there are not so, there are not so many. And also, like, uh, uh, to co-found something, you need a co-founder, right? So you need to find the person. I have already... Uh, fail the startup so i will uh so uh, like uh, i it's tough for me to find a co-founder yeah i fa- i failed a couple as well and that's uh it's uh, and now it's you're a tough... solo founder yeah i guess it's uh nobody's uh telling you what to do or you don't need to cope with any decisions you disagree with yes and you're you can own your own mistake yes it's very difficult to disagree with yourself, unless you're psychiatric, uh, yeah. psychically. Uh, but you can you can only dispense. you know if you if you something fails, it's uh, it's your own responsibility, and for some reason it makes me more comfortable to feel that uh, that was my mistake. Let's fix it for next time instead of mm-hmm. that was his mistake. I need to accept it and to deal with that uh, on my own. Yeah, I, I, um, so when I was at Meta, I was uh, so, so working at Meta was for me something that 
I've been dreaming about, not not Meta specifically, but uh, a big tech company, a big thing. And I've been think, I was thinking that working there would be, you know, I, if I go to that kind of company, that would be the last position I ever take because I would make a lot of money and I would be super happy working on amazing machine learning problems. And a month after I started there, I realized that I hated it like I never hated a, a job. And it's when I started to realize that if I hate the job that I've been dreaming about for years, then maybe the only things that remains for me to do is to build my own company. So I remember at the time I was I was trying to I started to to build something. I didn't want to to co-found anything. I wanted to build something. And uh, I didn't even care about doing any market research. I really wanted to to build something, and I was confident. I knew uh, I could understand what potential customers would want. So I remember trying to build a, 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 a marketplace for tutoring services. And then, you know, once I finished building it, I realized that it exists uh, in many, in many, you know, there are many competitors on the on the subject that had much better features than I could offer at the time. And, uh, but I, I was not disappointed. I felt like, okay, I, I really wanted to build. I didn't want to go in circle, philosophy, you know, like uh, trying to figure out what to build. I really wanted to do something. Mm. And, uh, but that helped me uh, learn skills first. And also that helped me mature in, when it comes to potentially build a company in realizing that I could not do it on my own. And it's when I tried to, to find co-founders for the next company. And uh, I found great, great people, but uh, we were really, you know, we, we tried to be something, but we were, we were really in disagreement in the way to actually work and ha actually get to a product. And it's, uh, it was a great experience for me to realize that, uh, well, it's very important to know the people you, you're working with when it comes to building a startup. And it also helped me understand that uh, I need to take a break in trying to work with other people. Uh, I need to figure out a way to build something without, without having to deal with other people. It was a, a very useful experience for me, a very great learning experience, but... Uh, I felt I, I wasted a bit of time working with people that didn't have the same working style as me. How many how many uh, months or years did you waste? Not not too long. Um, uh, we started uh, in April of 2022, and uh, we were working without being paid, without having any uh, any uh, investment. And uh, we needed to build something quickly to convince investors. And by the time, by October or something like that, November, it's when I started to be financially, uh, you know, it was a bit more difficult financially to, to continue that, that rhythm without having any income. So it was when I really needed to have uh, investors backing us up. But... Uh, we never got to a point, so we built products, we built a product, but we never got to a point where 
we built uh, we built a product for somebody that needed that product. And me, I was the engineer in that story. And I needed those guys to really find people for who building for who we needed to build something. And um and I could not count on them for, for that. It was a, it was a bit annoying. They could not find uh some requirements in terms of what we could build for people for people to be happy to pay for that mm -hmm. uh, for that one thing for that product and we just needed one person one one uh, one customer mm -hmm. one customer that would validate that there is a need for what we could build and uh, for months i was building stuff without having a clear customer uh, need for the things we were building and uh, yeah we ended up to split at uh, at that point because i could not go on financially i saw how they were working i saw how they were not able to after many months gain some understanding of what could be useful for some people or what some people would be to would be ready to pay for so i realized that uh, considering the momentum that i saw uh, going on for for a few months i realized that uh, there was no way that we were going to ever succeed with uh, with uh, that partnership is it was in the us yeah i've been i've been in the us since 2007 and i'm oh not uh, i'm not living why what are you doing in this crazy country well i like it but for a few, for like a short period of time. Well, first of all, my life is here. You so have kids? I, yeah, I have two kids. I have a wife. Uh, I have a house. So it's okay. uh, it's hard to think about leaving that to go to another country. Also, if I work in the US, if I were to take a, a job where I was an employee again, I would be paid three times as much as in France, yes. which uh, is a big advantage for me. I would have difficulty to think about going back to France and being paid the amount that I've heard uh, machine learning engineer or data scientist being paid. So mm. that'll be a bit annoying to me. And also, I don't know. I feel that France, I've, I've done it. You know, I've uh, I've uh, I've nothing that excites me to discover there. You know, like I, I would most likely discover new things by being there, but. It's a it's a known uh, known place for me. You know, I'm not like going there thinking, oh, it's great. I'm going to learn new things. You know, it's a, and uh, I don't like the the negative attitude of of uh, people there. People okay. are very pessimistic. You know, like uh, if you are a bunch of, of friends uh, walking in the street, and you have nothing to say where you start to find something to complain about. And mm. it's the way you make conversation. You start to complain about the weather. You start to complain about the government. You start to complain about something. And uh, being, in the, being in the US, I've learned to be very optimistic about things and to take responsibility for the bad things that may happen to me mm. instead of uh, trying to find something to rage about makes the day-to-day -day much more enjoyable. In the US, people, I feel they have much, much less social benefits 
but still they always welcome you with a smile they always i don't know happy to help you even then it may they may be working in a annoying job so it's uh it's something that i really appreciate uh, in the us and uh i would not want to go back to a country where they they keep complain complaining about they keep complaining about things that don't matter you know mm-hmm. so yeah no clearly you're right there is a there is a different uh, how how would you call that it's not really a mindset it's a maybe it's a mindset it's a cultural it's a national cultural thing yeah uh, french complain a lot and see negativity everywhere and so if you want to build new stuff if you want to start a, a new company uh being in a place where they are very pessimistic about things seems to be contradictory yeah in fact uh, this is true and uh, and uh, this oh well i uh, i could feel that uh, when i was uh, uh, attempting my uh, my startup uh, when i was back from uh, from my from my uh, uh, trip around the world uh, we uh, we worked on uh, on a small project some of my uh, co-writer of, the, <laughs> of one of my paper I'd worked on, and it was using reinforcement learning for a toy to make a, a really cool toy with a very, uh, uh, when you put it out of the box, it has a very uh, short repertoire of behaviors. And then like as it interacts with the world, it, be- it becomes to showcase more and more mm-hmm. uh, interesting behaviors. And uh, and so we we, we worked a bit on the on the prototype and we had we we we, we were uh, applying for this uh, uh you know like national bank uh, like bpi and all that and you know like they asked like business plan like they asked you know like very boring stuff <laughs> so i i completely agree i mean i agree that uh, that the, the, it's amazing that france still managed to create a lot of things uh despite the the i mean the background which is really not uh which is really that um, uh, uh, fit uh, for for creating new stuff uh, I'm, I'm amazed by our innovation capacity if we were in the correct context uh, i wonder if it, uh, i guess frenchmen would would rule the world you know when i was in france and i was studying physics i felt really lost i was I was on this path of studying physics because it's what I enjoyed, but I continued that path without seeing really a future about it. I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I don't see a, a job coming out of this. And I, I was uh, somewhat not depressed, but uh, you know, there was nothing for me to fight for. And uh, when I came to the US, so I came in the US to do my PhD. And when I came to the US, I was as lost as I was in France, but um, there's a mindset where it's okay. Uh, you can do whatever you want. You're a smart uh, physics student doing a PhD in a good university. You can do whatever you want after. And I was as lost as I was in France, but I was certainly so motivated yes. to fight for the future. When when you feel that you have something to fight for, it's it's incredible what what you can achieve. In France, I was always in, under this impression that 
if I try something, if I don't know how to do it perfectly, people are going to tell me to stop doing it because I was not the expert at it. I remember it's a, this, uh, this example that I keep in my mind that is a stupid example, but uh, I was at a party in France and uh, I started to sing. I'm not a good singer. And I, played, I was playing the guitar and I was not good at playing guitar. And uh, I had a microphone. And somebody cut my microphone because that person decided I was not good at playing guitar and, and singing, which was true. But uh, you, you, if you're not good at it, you're not going to be given the opportunity to have fun with it and enjoy the moment. And maybe if you enjoy the moment, you spend time learning about it and become good at it. But in France, you know, I remember this party. This party, for me, this moment was somehow... somehow uh, a symbol of what it is to be in France, where if you don't do things perfectly, people are going to cut uh, the, your microphone and you're not going to be able to express yourself and find a path maybe to, to becoming good at something. Where in the US, you want to try something, you're not good at it, try, learn. You know, they're going to give you anything you... you they're going to push you to, to try the new things, to, to learn mm -hmm. something new. Uh, if you don't succeed, well, you, you may end up to, to become homeless in the US, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, at least, you know, you, you have all the, everybody is excited for you to try something, you know, and they're going to push you to do it. So it's Even uh, if you end up sleeping in a van. Yeah. But, you know, you have this, you have this, uh, this freedom, like the, the, the peer pressure that you have in the society is, is actually very, very important. And yeah. the, in France, you know, the society around you is going to push you down. In the U.S., the society around you is going to push you up. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a really, it's a very different uh, experience to live in those two different societies. So, no, I'm not coming back. What about you, London? You're in the U.S., right? Yes, I'm, I'm in the U.S., and I think what you described is what people call, like, the American dream. Like, I myself had tried a couple startups, and they fail. I mean, I think the joy I get out of startups is you get to do whatever you want. I get to build cool things. But this, yeah. the, the ugly part of it is finding customers that want to pay you for it. You have the best thing out there in the world, but if you can't get any customers, it really doesn't make a difference, right? So it's, yeah. it's that conundrum always. Yeah. Like, uh, so you, you tried, you tried to, I mean, to start your own startup. A mm -hmm. couple of them. Um, yeah. we thought we were on to some really good ideas, but like it's that moment when you finish and then some of it is just lack of business acumen where you, you gotta, sometimes my mindset was always, I'm catching lightning in the bottle. I'm going, if this thing doesn't take off in like a month, then it's, it's worthless. But that was the wrong mindset. I think if I would do it all over again, it's more like there's a slow process of, getting customers and nothing happens overnight. Of course, there's exceptions like the Facebooks and the Googles, but majorly, you know, typically speaking, man, you have to grind for like six months to a year on, on a startup. I, I don't um, think uh, Facebook and Google are exceptions to that. Yeah. I don't I, think the success happened overnight, uh, like it's described uh, in the movies, mm -hmm. maybe. I think it's uh, as anything. It took time. And if they, uh, if they had given up on the way, I think uh, 
they 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 would not have succeeded like like uh, like uh, like us, I guess. I don't think there's a there are overnight successes. I don't maybe not. That. I don't know. I think Facebook. I don't think it was overnight, but it's sort of caught lightning in a bottle. But you know, it's also about the timing. I think sometimes startups are about timing. You know, sure. if you came out right around when mobile was hot, you know, like Instagram or whatever it is, Amazon, like it's just the timing of the matter. Um, I don't, I'm not a big believer of luck. I think luck equals like preparedness that matches opportunity. So a lot of that is all around timing too. So it's, you got to be a little bit lucky, but then you also have to put in the work as well. And I'm thinking about doing something else, but, um, like you said, you, you know, it's money. You got to pretty much give up your life for a little bit, yeah. <laughs> take all these risks. Well, you know. well would, would that be related to AI? Oh, of course it would be. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, um, so that's where, uh, actually potentially learning about becoming a machine learning engineer could potentially be useful, not, not to be the machine learning engineer, but to, to be knowledgeable enough to understand what's going on in your own company. Mm -hmm. Hmm. What, what, what would you be able to talk about your ideas? Um, I, I think it's sort of as simple, you know, the things that I'm sure you all have heard about, like very specific industry data, like, and then we'll, we'll kind of lean into what you were talking about, about the specialization in NLP, where I just think in, a, in my small mind that people are getting adjusted to talking or interacting with machines. Like, I think it's still a foreign concept. But my dad used to tell his story about there used to be a person in an elevator to manually move people up and down. And at some point, the man was just there to click a button because people were nervous about not a person in an elevator. And I think it's sort of similar what it is now with autonomous cars and machine learning AI, that people are just slowly getting accustomed to talking to machines with their voice or typing. And I think that opens up so many different opportunities for verticals and financial, for verticals in, you know, e-commerce, right? How to help these companies run, you know, commerce shops better. So it's a lot. And I think that's part of one of the problems I have. I, I, there's so much to choose from. I don't know really what you want to do, but you know, if I do, it's, it definitely is going to be somewhere around AI. That, that makes sense. It's going to be the next Jarvis. Yeah, it's, we, we're going to have a Jarvis at some point. I don't know who's going to put it out, but. Well, you know, when I, when ChatGPT came, came out, uh, Originally, I, I I really felt oh that's Jarvis, that's what. Uh, it's a reference that relates to the background that you can see in his room. So oh. I'm, a, I'm a huge. Sorry, I'm this a is huge... a, this, yeah. this cultural uh, gap. Yeah. I, I cannot understand. <laughs> so really, really quick, like I'm a huge Marvel superhero nut. I watch every single movie. So basically, okay. Iron Man is a superhero, and he has this this computer called Jarvis that he talks to, and it. It feels like ChatGPT, but it's not, but it's like times a thousand. And I just think that's where we're all going. So I see, I see, I see. No, uh, uh, I like your idea. I think uh, so. Uh, previously, I said that uh, I'm not so impressed by this uh, so called uh, revolution of generative AI. Uh, but uh, uh, in fact, uh, what I think is promising, promising is to bring super accurate and on-point uh, content, like knowledge content to people who would actually, who would, uh, uh, sorry, who would, uh, uh, without this, not 
uh, have access to it. Uh, like a, some kind of a super Wikipedia or something. And, uh, and uh, uh, now, in fact, uh, when you, I mean, when you code, uh, now I don't, you know, like every time I want to code something, uh, I'm going to ask ChatGPT first, you know? So it's like just to get on track. Right. Uh, uh, and I, previously I would, I would, I would not, so all the knowledge is, comes from the knowledge that I extracted from the web. Uh, but previously I was unable to access it as, uh, transparently and as uh, effortlessly as, as now. So, uh, I agree that like there are, I think multiple subdomains in which you could, uh, these techniques for like knowledge retrieval tailored to a specific domain. Uh, and it can be anything, in fact. I, I disagree a bit with that. Uh, I think it's, uh, I'm personally impressed with the re revolution. Uh, I think what's happening is, uh, is something that it would have been difficult to predict knowing what was happening before, at least for people like me that was mm -hmm. not completely in the field of, uh, of LLM, etc. Uh, I think it's a very limiting view to think about LLMs just for uh, as a knowledge base. I think they are natural language processing engines that can really help uh, to process the way we communicate. So, and as as such, we don't need to use LLM just as a way to retrieve the information that they have in their weights. We can really use them for other things. And you can really build uh, very interesting applications using LLM beyond just uh, retrieving information. So I, I'm not, I'm not completely. What, what, can can you give examples? Um, so let me think. So so, so, so really so quick, I, like so for example, so for you know, like uh, you you're talking about this interaction you have with ChatGPT, you get uh, you get. Uh, uh, you get, uh, you know, some some problem about coding, but uh, you could you could replace uh, assistants that when, for example, you talk to, uh, you call your bank, for example, mm -hmm. you know, you could replace uh, those people with mm -hmm. uh, uh, mm -hmm. like a tool like ChatGPT. You could. Um, um, you mean yes? You can you can you can uh, you can uh, replace some workforce clearly. Uh, I, I, the problem with LLM is that they're not grounded in truth. So so that's so I was very traumatized by the Galactica fiasco. I don't know if you remember this. No. Uh, Facebook or Meta released uh, LLM uh, uh, to the community of research of academia. It was it was targeted at academia, and it was supposed to help you do like bibliographic research. Like a, a frame, like frame a paper, you know, and and uh, in two days it was overflooded with, uh, so people were trolling with it just because it was not grounded in truth. You could actually make it write art, serious scientific articles, so sounding articles about completely stupid things. And uh, yeah. and in fact, uh, yeah, and Lequin <laughs> is very, he was very angry about this because he said like people are like messing with the system. It's it should be an assistant, not uh, not a truth. So uh, not uh, not uh, not uh, uh, it would be an assistant to write, not uh, not a research not a not a research assistant. In fact, just like a, some kind of a secretary, and uh, and uh, and so to me, like this really shows the problem of uh, 
of, uh, of these models, we like to actually make a really significant uh, change. Like uh, if they are not grounded no, in no. truth, you're uh, about... if they are not grounded in truth, they are not grounded in moral, they are not yeah, grounded but you're in... Not, you're, not thinking about LL... you're thinking about LLMs as such. When you build a software application with LLMs, power with LLMs, you're not just wrapping uh, uh, some code. I mean, you're not wrapping a LLM with some code. You really have a way to process the data that comes in. You have a way mm -hmm. to uh, to instruct the LLM to, to do specific things. Yeah, I agree. You, I agree. And you, that, control, but to me it's, uh... and you control with software the output that yeah. is provided by the LLM. You have a, a lot of uh, control points in the way you have a user interacting with the LLM. And so, so you, right? you can very easily uh, prevent those kind of things. I guess you could, yeah, you can, you can, uh, in, in fact, you can uh, correct it afterwards or you can put some uh, boundaries. No, uh, no, no, uh, you, you, can, you can have prompts that you can augment the prompts in a way that you really control what is provided to the LLM. And mm -hmm. you can have some passing some software that parse the input as a user to make sure mm -hmm. that there's no uh, ill intent in the mm -hmm. in the way the information is provided you 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 need to understand, you need to think about llm as one piece of a software and not as the main thing that you interact with i agree Damien, Damien, uh, i agree with you uh, so but to me uh, what you're describing is a sophisticated knowledge retrieval system or like a component in a sophisticated knowledge retrieval system. Nothing more. I mean, it's, 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 it's huge. I mean, I like it. I like it. Uh, and I'm also thinking about like applications, uh, sure. to, uh, but, but to me, it's not, it's not more than that. So quickly, let me ask you this, Benjamin, like when you say you can actually be the code. Is that knowledge retrieval or is it more like reasoning of how to apply what is learned about how to code? Because I do think, I'll call yeah. it now, at some point, Microsoft will have a team of AI assistants build the next operating system. When we get to that point where we can leverage this type of LLMs to do that type of reasoning based off what they know, that's the thing that gets me going. That's the, the, the power mm -hmm. I want to harness because that is so revolutionary. Wow, you know, we could argue, yeah, it's going to get rid of this and get rid of that. But also think about how much good it's going to be. Like, I, I truly believe, like, this probably will help us get off Earth at some point. Like, people are going to start using AI to figure out how to get to Mars in seven days as opposed to however long it takes, you know, <laughs> because it has and the power of reasoning. They can, they can make decisions, right? Uh, yes, they can make decisions. But, but they, they, they can make decisions in an in a educated manner using some uh, information that they learned, but uh, mm -hmm. it's different from just providing information. And they can... They can... I agree. It's, 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 a, it's a more relevant information, clearly. It's a more relevant information. And also, it, uh, because it recombines, uh, because it recombines uh, all, all its knowledge base, it can actually uh, produce an output which is more uh, relevant or more helpful uh, than what than if you had just uh, compiled all the stack overflow answer to a particular coding question, for example. This I completely agree, but uh, uh, still, it's not grounded in truth. It's not grounded in like so. In fact, uh, when you code with it, you can sometimes it makes like stupid mistakes, or not stupid mistakes, but like it or it overlooks something, uh, which is very obvious. But it's just because like 
in the in the in the autoregressive uh, flow, it does not uh, it does not pay attention to it. So so I I, I agree. It's I, I like it. I mean I, I like to use it. I enjoy using it, and and it's cool. But I don't think it's revolutionary in the in the sense that. For example, like people say that it resonds. I'm sorry, but LM don't reason. Like they, have, like they don't reason in the sense human reasons. What, uh, why is that? Human reasons on uh, human reasons and some. Uh, so they apply. So how can I say that? Um, so we are able to apply on input uh, that we. So we are. So we are not. Um, there is more than just the input data or the database. You know, I think there are like, like there are some uh, deeply rooted uh, uh, um, uh, ways our brain functions, which is not reproducible to just statistical, which is not uh, which cannot be uh, uh, or like uh, reduced to just like statistical regularities. You know, like in fact uh, that that's that's the, that's uh, consistent with the with the Chomsky way of thinking about language, for example, that there are like some rules, uh, you know, that are like that have been selected basically by natural selection, and that and that uh, that is that makes our the way we think very special. And Damien, you have some kids, you can see that kids learn, you know, like LLMs don't learn anything. They don't have the they don't have the mechanisms to to learn uh, in an ongoing manner. It doesn't mean and with that... few, with very few data, like uh, like children, they, they like they learn with like so with but, one example, you know, generalize. But if I right? if I let's say the answer you just gave me is based on your previous experience mm -hmm. with the conversation we have, you you may learn something new, but uh, still, you know, like uh, what you gave me as an answer is based on reasoning. Mm -hmm. If I take uh, a if I take uh, all the atoms and particles of your brain and body right now, if I copy mm -hmm. it and I put it in the same environment that you are currently in and I ask you the same question, uh, you would answer the same thing because, exactly. because uh, that's the state of input and the state of your internal programming that uh, you were in when I asked you the question. What is the difference between that and LLMs? Why isn't well, it a statistical? Uh, isn't it just uh, related to your internal state and the current input I'm giving you in terms of data? Um, no, I agree. It's the same. Uh, I agree. I agree. It's the same. The difference does not lie in the in, in this. The the difference doesn't lie in uh, in uh, uh, the way like. In the in the transformation from input to output, it's, it 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 uh, lies in how the knowledge is acquired. That that's for me. That's the that's where the people overlook the fact that uh, these uh, these models they, they, yeah, the brute force learn everything, right? We we have so, two we have two different ways to learn the information: humans and LLMs. I agree with that. Uh, why? So as a as a as a as a consequence, you would expect that the information coming out of those two different entities, humans and LLMs, should be somewhat different. And the way they process information is somewhat different. But uh, why 
is what's coming out of a human, I, I have the right to call it reasoning, and why mm -hmm. what is coming out of a LLM, I don't have the right to call it reasoning because the learning has been different. Oh, okay, so the learning has been different and the way it's, uh, it, it produces the output is also different. So like a LLM, or maybe, maybe it's going very far, very fast and I, I, I'm not aware, but an LLM uh, cannot plan what he's going to say in the future or, or like he's like basically uh, output the next word. The fact that there uh, are different the, ways to output data uh, and there are different ways to, there are different abilities in the way to structure reasoning doesn't mean to me that there's not a trace of reasoning. It's not because there are differences okay. that one is reasoning, one is not. I, okay, I, I, in fact, I agree with you that uh, if, we, if we agree on the, if we say that reasoning is just a procedure to, based on input, produce some output, applying some rules, LLMs reason. I agree the reason. But uh, in fact, let's call it like, the, I agree the reason. Uh, in fact, and I said uh, the, previously that they don't reason. So, yeah. They don't reason like humans. That's what that's what I'm saying. And I don't. And, and and also, what is important is that I don't see how they could reason as humans in the current state of the field. That's that's the that's where I'm like skeptical. So yeah, now they are they are not humans, okay. And but we are not asking them to be humans. But we can utilize the current level of reasoning they have. It's not because. They don't have a human level of reasoning, or it's not because they don't have the same way to reason. They may, mm -hmm. may they may not have a human level of reasoning. No, I I, I completely agree. Uh, but for some application, it's a real uh, problem. Like for example, Galactica, uh, it was a real problem. Like having an assistant that is not grounded in truth is a problem to do science. For example, I mean clearly no, for, for sure. For sure, but, right. but, we, we, so but that, I think just... I think we need to be careful about. We we cannot take one example like Galactica. And, and state something about what a LLM can do uh, or, or has to be used, the way it has to be used. So w there's a current state of, the, uh, of understanding of LLM and, and their current level of performance. And there, there's a current way we can use that current level to build things that are very different and very new compared to what happened before. Mm -hmm. And it's not because they don't, there are some cases where it broke, mm -hmm. but we cannot use it. And I that agree. it's still, uh, that, it's, that it's not new in, uh, that we don't have a tool that is completely re revolutionary. It's not because something broke that it's not revolutionary. Uh, you know, like the, the H bomb exploded. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I agree. But it was it was a fridge, revolution. A fridge also is a, is a uh, like having a fridge at home is also revolutionary uh, because you have like you can keep cool uh, food at your place. I no, I, I I agree. I agree. It's just uh, maybe I, uh, I, uh, I I was not careful enough with my uh, with my words. Uh, it's just uh, I don't think we could, we will be able to do everything. I mean, it's, well, I don't think they can do more than, than information retrieval, in fact. Uh, that's, so that's, that's just, a, in fact, uh, I stand by it. I don't think they can do any more 
things that are uh, I mean relevant things outside of information retrieval. But I think it's even 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 creativity. I mean, I'm like I'm not fully impressed by uh, by uh, creativity of the LLMs. So there are currently companies uh, that are trying to exist that uh, are trying to build software that generate, for example, uh, cartoons, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, animes or animations, mm -hmm. uh, just with uh, text input of a human. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, maybe it's not going to be creativity in the way that we tend to think about it uh, when we think about humans, but still we're going to see new things. We're going to oh, see yes. a new output that was not possible before uh, uh, the, the existence of this type of, of, uh, of AI. But, you know, like, uh, I mean, think about it also as a way to really as a, as, a, as a layer that can exist between a human and a software. Because uh, more than uh, retrieval information, like, for example, I can ask a LLM to query a database for me, mm -hmm. right? It's not retrieval information. It's not retrieving inf information from its own internal programming. It's a layer between me and the software. The software is a database, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I am asking for uh, the LLM to mm -hmm. uh, produce the programming that will interact with the software. And I can, I can do that for many things. I can, this can be a layer between human and many different things. So software is an obvious thing because uh, LLMs can produce software, right? Or you can interact with software tools. So you can easily, for example, uh, build, ha have that layer as a way to interact with uh, API uh, connections. Mm -hmm. So you can use, as a human, you can produce instruction and the LLM will know how to interact with the different API uh, yes. connections that uh, may exist. It's not, it's providing you the information back. So there's an exchange of information, mm -hmm. right? So there's an in and there's an out, but uh, it could be a layer of interaction between humans and many different things that exist currently where we need some uh, manual work that uh, may mm -hmm. be annoying. I mean, a simple example, we had people that had to manually get the elevators to go up or down. And at some point, we needed some, some people in the elevator just to click the button, just to feel comfortable. Well, let's remove the clicking giving, giving earlier. Let's have this layer of uh, where the LLM can understand the human intent through uh, the natural language uh, well, location and uh, have the LLM generating the action that will get the uh, elevator to go up and down. And you could do that for many things, like you could drive a car by talking, you could drive a plane by talking. And we're talking about Jarvis earlier. We could simply have Jarvis, uh, you know, voice assistants that could do whatever you actually need to do. And would need it. Would need uh, you would need usually an expert to do that thing, like a drive a uh, pilot a plane. You need somebody that is an expert at understanding what's happening with all those buttons and the information that is provided by the plane, 
And instead of having uh, needing an expert, you could just have somebody saying, let's go. And the plane goes, you know, and, and this is the LLM that is acting as a layer between you, what you need as a human, and uh, providing the action that get to uh, to do, the, I mean, to to actually do the action that uh, what the human, but the human actually wanted to 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 have to happen. So you can actually remove a lot of uh, frictions that currently exist, uh, where you need to learn how to interact with some machines or some some tools, because we don't have a way to translate human intent to the actions beyond just learning how to make that action uh, ourselves. You, you've got a point. Uh, you've got a point. That's uh, that's an interesting. Uh, it's not only information retrieval. Okay, guys, uh, let's conclude our session today. It was uh, nice having you here on the on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, it was very very interesting. Great. Well, you know, maybe we can do that again at some point in the future. Well, thank you guys for 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 coming. And uh, we'll see you later. So thanks so much, David. Bye. Bye-bye. Awesome. Thank you, guys.